0: One way that we can be guilty of denying the gospel is if we restrict our fellowship to certain Christians while neglecting others on the basis of some superficial external issues like skin color, like financial and social status, like education, vocation, or even a wicked past and the stigma attached to it. You see, when we don't accept Certain Christians, because of issues like these, we are, in reality, denying the message of Christ, because the Gospel says that Christ accepts all who place their trust in Him, regardless of anything else about them.
1: Many, or maybe even most of us, have been guilty of that kind of favoritism. And it's something that's a whole lot easier to see in someone else than in ourselves. Sometimes what we need is for someone to speak up about it, and that's what Paul did when he came to Antioch and found Peter going with the flow and avoiding the Gentile believers in favor of the Jewish believers. Welcome to Verse by Verse. It's good to have you here today as Pastor Steve Kreloff wraps up his second message in this series from Acts chapter 15, where the first ever church council clarified for us that salvation is by grace and grace alone. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our series is titled, What is Necessary to be Saved? While Luke described for us what happened at the Jerusalem Council, we find some interesting details in Galatians chapter 2 about the events in Antioch that prompted that gathering. Because the Galatians were doing much the same as the Judaizers in Antioch, Paul pointed out to them that their heresy was not a new one and they were ignoring the decree of the Jerusalem Council. Paul described Peter's temporary surrender to the Judaizers in Antioch as hypocrisy, because he knew that Peter and the others who were avoiding Gentile believers knew better than to do that sort of thing. So let's listen as Pastor Steve picks up his message at that point.
0: See, a hypocrite is one who says one thing and he does another. That's a hypocrite, and that's exactly what Peter... And the Jewish brethren did. They said that God accepts Gentiles the same exact way that he accepts Jews, by faith alone in Christ. But that's not the way they acted. You see, by refusing to eat with Gentiles, they acted as if Jewish people were better and superior to Gentiles. And that, watch this, eating only kosher food made them more acceptable to God. Folks, that's the issue. What Peter and the other Jewish believers did was a terrible display of racial prejudice because it declared that as Jews, they thought they were ethnically superior to Gentiles. This is no different than white people segregating themselves and refusing to eat with black people and vice versa. It's racial prejudice. It's bigotry. It is condemned by Scripture. But listen closely, because what Peter did... And these other Jewish Christians did. That went beyond racial prejudice. It was a flat out denial of the gospel because in refusing to eat with the uncircumcised Gentiles, they were actually denying the gospel of grace by making circumcision and law keeping the basis of acceptance before God. Here's the way Bible teacher John Stott explained Peter's hypocrisy and his denial of the gospel. He writes, Peter knew perfectly well that faith in Jesus was the only condition on which God will have fellowship with sinners. But he added circumcision as an extra condition on which he was prepared to have fellowship with them, thus contradicting the gospel. Understand this. Peter didn't really believe this theologically. He knew that salvation was by faith alone, but... In withdrawing from the uncircumcised Gentiles and eating only with circumcised Jews, he acted, he acted as if circumcision was necessary for salvation. And that's what made his behavior so hypocritical and so appalling. And folks, this does have a direct application for us. Because it's one thing for us to verbally affirm that we believe the truth of the gospel. But then we all have to be so careful that we don't deny that truth by our actions. And one way that we can be guilty of denying the gospel is if we restrict our fellowship to certain Christians while neglecting others on the basis of some superficial external issues like skin color, like financial and social status, like education, vocation, or even a wicked past and the stigma attached to it. You see, when we don't accept certain Christians because of issues like these, we are in reality denying the message of Christ because the gospel says that Christ accepts all who place their trust in him regardless of anything else about them. Now, interestingly, it appears that the Apostle Paul was the only one in the entire church at Antioch who understood what was going on. It's just remarkable, and thank God for Paul. And he's the only one who correctly interpreted Peter's actions. And so he alone speaks up and he publicly rebukes him. And he proceeds to explain in the next verse why he did this. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Paul says that in removing himself from having fellowship with the Gentiles of the church, Peter and the rest of the Jewish Christians, including Barnabas, were not straightforward about the gospel. See, it came down to the gospel. And what he means by this is they were not walking or behaving in a way that was in keeping with the narrow path of the gospel message. By their actions, they were deviating from the narrowness of the message of how people are saved. In other words, their actions were inconsistent with the message of salvation by faith alone in Christ. And for that reason, and listen, that reason only, this is not a personal issue with Paul. This is a gospel issue. For that reason, Paul rebuked Peter. And here's what he said to him. Let me repeat it again. If you, he's telling Peter this in front of everybody, if you being a Jew, Peter, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And what exactly does Paul mean by these words? Well, Paul was putting Peter on the spot by asking him a question which was intended to force Peter to see how inconsistent his behavior was with the truth of the gospel. What Paul wanted to know from Peter was how he, a Jewish man who had been living like a Gentile prior to the coming of these men from Jerusalem in the sense that he had been eating non-kosher food with the Gentiles, why he, Peter, now wanted the Gentiles to live like Jews. So what he's saying is, Peter, why do you want the Gentiles of this church to live like Jews by keeping the Old Testament dietary laws when you as a Jew, you didn't keep them? Now, let me explain what was at the heart of Paul's question to Peter. Paul wants Peter to understand that by his action of changing his habit from eating with the Gentiles to eating only kosher food with the Jews, that he was sending a loud Message to the Gentiles in the church at Antioch that keeping the laws of Moses was important because it was part of the gospel message. See, what Peter was conveying by his behavior that it isn't enough to believe in Jesus for salvation. You also have to observe the specific Old Testament laws if you hope to be saved. And folks, that's exactly what the false teachers had been saying to the Galatians. And that's why Paul wrote to them in particular, about this incident because he wants them to see how erroneous Peter's behavior was, even at the expense of embarrassing Peter. Now folks, believe it or not, all that was an introduction. It was an introduction to our study of of Acts 15, because you have to understand all of this to know that now at the Jerusalem council, Peter, this is why he's such a staunch defender of the gospel of grace. You see, Peter took to heart Paul's words of rebuke. He learned from them. And now after patiently sitting and listening to others debate. Before the Jerusalem council, whether salvation is by grace or works, Peter can take it no more. And he just stands up and what he is about to say is in the defense of the gospel of grace. He does it by making three points with the first one being, number one, the conversion of Cornelius by faith proves that salvation is by grace and not by the works of the law. Verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth The Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, it's very likely that Peter, being impetuous by nature, was sitting there, just biting his tongue, just waiting for the right time to speak to the council and finally sensing that the time has come. He stands up. He's got the floor. He begins to speak. And what comes out of Peter's mouth is a history lesson as he takes them back in time about ten years earlier when God chose him to take the gospel To the Gentiles, meaning Cornelius and his household. Now, they all knew about this incident. It's recorded in Acts 10 and 11. So this wasn't anything new. Peter was just reminding them that God chose him to be the very first one to present the gospel to a group of Gentiles. And his purpose in bringing this up is to remind them of the outcome of his preaching the gospel to these Gentiles. Notice what he says at the end of verse 7. He states the word believe after hearing the gospel from his mouth, Cornelius and his household believed it. That's what he's saying. See, what Peter is telling them is that circumcision, dietary laws or any of the laws of Moses had absolutely nothing to do with the conversion of these Gentiles. They were saved by believing the gospel by faith alone. Peter preached the gospel as he explained to them the meaning of Christ's death for sinners. They heard it and they believed it. And that's how they were saved, he says, by grace through faith without any addition of works. Now, in saying this, Peter's a smart man. And he knows that those sitting in the Jerusalem council who oppose salvation by faith alone, and there must have been many of them, they might object to his assertion that Cornelius and his household were saved by faith. And their argument would be that they couldn't have been saved by faith because they weren't circumcised. In other words, yes, we know that Cornelius and his household believed after Peter told them about Christ and his death. But listen, it's only Peter's opinion that these Gentiles were saved by just believing. Peter doesn't know their hearts. He doesn't know whether they were saved or not. Our view is that they weren't saved because they weren't circumcised. So listen, Peter's history lesson, it doesn't prove a thing. Therefore, as I told you, Peter is smart. And of course, the Lord is guiding him at this point. Anticipating that an objection along these lines might come up, Peter immediately proceeds to say something that proves that Cornelius and his household were saved by faith. And not by the works of the law and that their salvation by believing. That's not his opinion. It's fact. Verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. This is brilliant. Continuing with his history lesson, Peter reminds the council that God, who sees people's hearts, and therefore knows whether or not they're really saved, God verified that these Gentiles were converted by giving them the Holy Spirit. The reason Peter brings up the Holy Spirit being given to to Cornelius and his household is because the Scripture teaches very clearly that the Holy Spirit is given only to true, genuine Christians. Romans 8, 9, Paul said, however, you're not in the flesh. He writes to these believers, you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And there are many other verses that affirm this now. I want you to notice then how Peter ends this statement about the Holy Spirit being given to the Gentiles. He states at the end of verse 8, just as he also did to us. In other words, the Lord gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit when they were saved, just as he gave Jewish believers the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, demonstrating that they were saved. And the proof of the Spirit being given Peter says is that both the Jewish believers and these new Gentile believers miraculously spoke in foreign languages, commonly known as tongues, that had never been previously studied by them. We read this in Acts 10, 44 through 47 while Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God then Peter answered surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we did can he You see the point that Peter's making? He's saying that salvation is solely by faith because historically that's how the first group of Gentiles were saved. And the proof that they were saved is that God gave the Holy Spirit to indwell them and the proof that He was in them is that they were able to supernaturally speak in languages they had never previously studied. And having made this his first point, that the conversion of Cornelius and his family by faith proves that salvation is by grace, not by works of the law. He moves on to make a second point. The cleansing of Cornelius' heart by faith proves that salvation is by grace and not by the works of the law. Verse 9, And he made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, what Peter means by this is that when God saved Cornelius and his household, He cleansed their hearts, meaning that he cleansed them of their sins by forgiving their sins through the blood of Christ, just as he cleansed Jewish hearts when they believed in Christ. And the Lord did this, Peter says at the end of verse nine, by faith. In other words, they were saved and forgiven on the basis of their faith in Christ. And this cleansing had nothing to do with circumcision, keeping dietary laws or any ritual or law. In fact, the forgiveness of sins on the basis of faith, that was one of the main things that Peter stressed to Cornelius and his family when he preached the gospel to them. We read in Acts 10.43, he's before them, he's preaching to them. He says, of him, meaning Christ, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So now Peter has made two important points all in defense of the gospel of grace. Number one, the conversion of Cornelius by faith proves that salvation is by grace, not by works of the law. And two, the cleansing of Cornelius' heart by faith proves that salvation is by grace and not by works of the law. And now, as Peter finishes his speech, he gives a third and final point in defense of salvation by faith, which is that Jewish people's inability to keep the law Proves that salvation is by grace. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Addressing those who held to keeping the Mosaic law as a necessity for salvation. He's addressing those people in the council. Peter accuses them of putting God to the test, meaning that they're challenging God. Insisting on something that's contrary to God's will, questioning him, hindering his purpose. And what were they challenging God about? What were they trying to hinder God in accomplishing? They were trying to hinder God from saving Gentiles by faith alone. And they were doing this, Peter says, by placing upon the neck of the disciples, by that he means Gentile disciples, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we've been able to bear. What does he mean by this? In essence, what Peter is saying is that the Mosaic law, it's just like a yoke. A yoke is a heavy device that's put upon farm animals so that they could pull heavy loads. And the point that Peter is making is that historically, the Mosaic law was like a heavy load placed upon Jewish people that they were unable to carry. It was a burden. They were unable to obey all of those laws. It was just a heavy burden upon them. In other words, generation after generation of Jewish people have been incapable of being saved by keeping the law because they were incapable of keeping all of its demands. So Peter is saying to them, so why, you Jewish people? Why are you challenging God by insisting now that Gentiles must keep the law to be saved? We couldn't do it. Why do you put this burden on them to do it? You see, the point that Peter is making is that history has proven that no Jewish person could ever be saved by keeping the law. Because no sinful Jewish person has ever kept the law perfectly. It's just a heavy load of laws that have burdened them and shown them to be guilty before God instead of leading them to salvation and just burden them with guilt. So Peter says, if no Jewish person could be saved by the law, then just stop it. Stop insisting that Gentiles be saved by the law. Can't be done. And having said this, Peter closes his argument by making one final challenge to those in the council who oppose salvation by grace through faith. He says in verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. In light of the fact that no Jewish person could ever be saved by keeping the law and therefore there is only one way of salvation for Jewish people and that is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, faith in him, Peter declares that Gentiles are saved exactly the same way through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ by faith in him. See, there is no other way for anyone to be saved, whether they're Jewish or Gentile. There's no other way. God has only one way of salvation, and that is by trusting in Christ's sufficient substitutionary death as the sole basis for the forgiveness of sin. That's it. And with these words, folks, Peter has made his final statement in appearance in the book of Acts. From this point on, Paul and his ministry to the Gentiles are the focal point of Acts. But the message of Peter and Paul they're exactly alike. That God offers salvation to those who trust Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Apart from anything they, they can do. Listen, make sure that your faith is in Christ alone to save you. Don't fall into the deception of thinking it's, it's partly your performance as well. There have been many people over the years who, when I've asked this question... If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Many, many times I've gotten this answer. Well, I believe that Christ died for me and I'm trying to do the best I can. Many times I've gotten that. Now, it's very possible they don't understand the question. But if by that answer someone is saying, I believe in Christ, but I'm also trying my best, they're not saved. Salvation is by faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. It has nothing to do with you. You just need to rest. In his death on the cross for your salvation. So I I urge you make sure. Make sure that you don't think there's anything that you've done. That's part of your salvation. It's all of Christ. Make sure. Make sure. Father. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for a man like Peter. Who stood up. And so courageously, when many of his peers opposed him, stood and defended salvation by grace. Lord, may we be those who defend salvation by grace too. Not only verbally, but how we live. And making sure that we don't deny fellowship to others simply because they're different from us. They have different backgrounds. We thank you that in coming to Christ, you accept all of us, Lord, with some very wicked Backgrounds, some very distinct wicked backgrounds. Thank you for your grace. Lord, may these, may these words from your word help each one here to make sure that their faith, their trust, their confidence, their reliance is on Christ and his death only and nothing of themselves added. And we understand that we want to do the best we can in obeying you, but not for salvation, but in gratitude for what you've done for us in saving us. So I pray that you'll take these wonderful truths, Lord, and give clarity to our thinking by the Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Adding ritual or other tasks on top of belief in Christ for salvation has always been a temptation. We like to feel like we're contributing, but it's a burden that we cannot endure and one that God does not intend for us to endure. No one knew the gospel better than Paul because he had gotten it directly from the Lord. Thanks for listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, you'll get a warm welcome. Call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 for information. Or visit the website lakesidechapel.com. That phone number is also the one to call if you'd like to have a free audio CD with the entire sermon Pastor Steve just concluded. 727-441-1714. One seven one four. When you call, ask for message number 62, the Jerusalem Council, part 2. Have you been blessed listening to these Bible studies? If so, and you'd like to help us keep them coming, you can give by phone by calling Lakeside at the number I just mentioned, or you can take advantage of the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. We value and appreciate the generous listeners who help keep this ministry going. And while you're online, Don't forget our message archive page where you can catch up on any of our previous broadcasts at no charge. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to come back again for the next Verse by Verse and more about that most important question of all, what is necessary to be saved?